0: there wasn't anything wrong with that, right? Because that's the way I grew up. That was my perspective, that was my worldview, whatever you wanna call it, that was my culture. But it, throughout school, when you know I, I was a bit of a troublemaker, me and my friends, we, we, we were troublemakers, one of the worst things we could call each other was being white. Mm. Mm. We were prejudiced against you guys.
1: Yeah.
0: And to this day, we still are. Yeah, I know that sounds bad to my own people, but I got to say the truth for what it is. When we were, fu- If we were going to get in a fight or something like that, you can call each other all the names you want. <laughs> but if somebody <laughs> called me white, I was ready to throw down.
2: Ah. Mm. Interesting.
0: So I'm only going to say this for us to keep an open mm. mind in this regard.
1: Yeah.
0: It takes two people to have a racist relationship. Okay? It works yeah. both well, ways. You can have it towards me but I was raised to have it towards you.
1: So can, I, I would like to try to, um, if you would allow me, I would Please, like to try no, to respond I- to the way that you use the term racist just then. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think that a minority's response to a majority's treatment of them mm-hmm. is racist. So I, mm-hmm. um, it, it may be discriminatory like you said but it's not my place to say that I think first of all but I, I think but mm-hmm. but but second of all the the way um racism or racist works in like educated dialogue not in like just pop culture where it's just thrown around like popcorn you know yeah. um, you're racist you're racist you're racist you know but like the actual conception of what that term means is is from the perspective of the dominant It has to do with power, you know? Mm -hmm. So if those who are dominant in the culture and powerful in the way that they either treat, speak to certain systems that are set up that oppress or suppress minorities is racist, you know? And so- So
0: so in response to that, I I see what you're saying. In response to that, I would say by the time I was probably, I don't know, my early 20s, you know, I realized that, Man, I, you know, again, I don't know if my own people or my own minorities want to hear this or not, but it's like I had to stop believing at a certain point that the system was just rigged against me,
3: mm.
0: okay? I had to do that for myself yeah. in order to take the steps I needed for my family. Once I did that, it led to another positive step. It led to another positive step. Now, yeah. we, we, I would say we're at an advantage with my own family because we have two parents, you know, it, it's it's not a one, it's not a single parent family,
1: right?
0: Um, I I had to do away with some of those things, so.
1: Yeah, I hear you, man. I, I see, I see
0: the side. You know what? I, I'm only offering this to say that I can't accuse anyone of being racist towards me or anyone else, any minority group, black, Puerto Rican, Spanish, Mexican any of the Middle Eastern pop people that come over, unless you are XYZ, XYZ and meet all these demands, then you're not racist. Because that's not authentic.
1: Do no, I see what you're saying. Do yeah, you yeah.
0: genuinely want to concede all of those things just because I say you won't be racist then? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you. I, I think those are all valid points. And and I think and I think it's important to bring that, that up because but but I think the reason why I'm uh, I'm hesitant right now to use that yeah. language in the present moment is is just because I want to be and I'm not insinuating that you are not hear me when I say this but I want to be as careful as I can um, with the particular problem that is being addressed in these protests mm-hmm. you know like because what people are most guilty about doing right now more than anything else is what You know mm. that is the biggest issue in social media right now. I think is is what about this? Well, what about this? What about this? And it, it, it silences the actual substance of the protest. You know, right. and it silences the actual substance of the movement. You know, yet our and I have I have had to do this on social media for days and days and days and days, and I'm exhausted of it. Is keep keep reminding people like, "Hey, dummies who keep trolling me, I I I have trolls by the dozens, um, by the hundreds, and and th- yeah. they'll they'll say things like." You know, when, when are you going to speak out against the riots, you know, you talk about all this blah, 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 but you're not saying anything against the riots. And I've said over and over and over till I'm blue in the face. I'm against all rioting. I'm, yeah. against, all, I'm against all violence of any kind. I've yeah. been committed to nonviolence for years. I have presented papers at Society of Biblical Literature on nonviolent readings of the Passion Narrative. As prescriptive for the early Christian community and, and went in front of thousands of people who listen to me on podcasts, who mm. who write me and, and and thank me for saying, wow, I've never thought about guns this way before. I've never thought about violence this way before, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know that's what the gospels were saying. I've done that till I'm blue in the face. But what it reveals, the reason why people still go to, to my page, especially, and say, well, why don't you say It's because they want to divert attention to what is happening right now. Because, yeah. one, it either makes them personally uncomfortable, like they feel somehow attacked by this, you know, which is a really interesting phenomenon. I mean, when we really think about that. Are you we- talking about white people feeling yes white people yeah white people feeling attacked by the rioting and looting and all that they feel like their world is being attacked you know um so it's part of this wider narrative of like yeah you know just when you're only critiquing riots and looting what you're in effect saying now and i'm speaking primarily of those who have been silent to systemic racial issues before this and now They Like when Colin Kaepernick, these are the same people that when Colin Kaepernick's protest was going on, they were screaming about, I love the flag, I love this country, how dare he disrespect this country, blah, 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 blah. The same ones that are peaceful protesting that, uh, that aren't listening to them and disparaging them are the same ones now, same people now that are like, oh, the rioting and the looting, rah, rah, rah. Those same people that focus on that. Purposefully, and sometimes it's not even conscious. They're so deep in their prejudice that they don't want to hear that we have done anything wrong to anyone that's black and brown. I have black friends. I love black people. You know, every all oh, why this is fine. We don't have systemic issues. You know, this is individual problems. Blah blah blah, and they don't want there to be a systemic issue. They don't want there to be any sort of shaking up of the current political system because for them it works. Right. This is this is the nature of what we call privilege. That's like a cuss word for some people is when they hear the term privilege, oh, my leftist flag comes up. You know, that's what all the leftists say, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just a political term for them. Yeah, but yeah. it's not – you know, it's not a substantive term for them. They've never done things like a privilege walk before, you know? They've never done things where they've had to check their own privilege, you know? Like, why are you so concerned with sort of your, like, little economic worlds and neighborhoods to just be maintained as they are right now, but you were not vocal when other people's neighborhoods were being oppressed when other people's kids were being oppressed when right. other people's children are being slaughtered, you know when other people's children are being mass incarcerated for nonviolent crimes do in for-profit prisons doing slave labor when the same white kids pay the little two hundred dollar fine the next day and get out of jail for doing the same drugs. Yep. So, so it's it's and, and Wall Street for God's sakes they do more drugs than those brown kids do. And they don't get any prison time. so, uh, And they can buy it by the droves. And so. Well, then they you know, market it, and then they sell it at CVS.
0: Yeah, seriously.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's pharmacists or street pharmacists. What's the difference? You know? Right. So, so you, you get my point, hopefully. Sure. You know, I, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think the point stands that some people do not want their world um, sort of messed up. But this is, again, this goes back to the initial problem that I was highlighting earlier. Yeah. We we don't remember that every major systemic and paradigmatic shift in justice in this country, every single one was met with riots and looting. Every single one. It's true. Every single one. Yeah. It did, because the only reason why that is is because people don't listen. They don't want the change. And in some, I, I want to have some charity here. I'm not all just angry prophet, David, but it's um th- there need there needs to be some charity in that. Some people's ignorance isn't intentional. you know? A lot of people's ignorance is not intentional. It's not that they just don't know history because, F history, I don't care about it. It's just they've never learned. They've just, yeah. they've never been exposed to it, you know. Their education sucked, you know. Or or when they did hear about it, it was like some one-week lesson from, uh, you know, the football coach that taught their history class, you know. Right. You know, there was no investment in it. There was no sort of significance to it, you know. It was just some little blip on the historical radar or whatever. That's way back then, blah, blah, blah. When way back then for us is like a hundred years, you know, which is like yesterday for the rest of the world, you know, it's like, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, yeah. uh, so, the, so historical ignorance is a big factor in this, but the decided ignorance is what I like to jump on all the time. And in my social media presence, I never attack the common people. It's, it's, I'm always attacking the leaders who are using their voices um, to sway the masses—that's that's the group that I target. It's you—you got to shoot the wolves and protect the sheep.
2: Yeah. Well, we had a we had a certain Messiah that did that. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they killed him for it. The state, by the way. <laughs>
2: right. I mean, and I mean, with all this going on, I mean, there is a certain historical figure that had said that riots were the voice of the unheard. So. Amen. <laughs> Martin Luther King.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Jesus also condemned Jesus. violence, though, in the Garden. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, even even if we think about the birth of our nation, it was built with people at some point deciding, hey, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. We need to protest. We need to write. We need to break away. Yeah. And they fought. Yeah, they did. And there was violence, right? That's right. There yeah. was violence. But there was also injustice in that violence on the... Backs of Native Americans.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep, that's true.
0: So, I mean, it's like
2: yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. if, if violence is going to work. Me
1: personally, even no, though that no, I never I, said that. What's that? I never said that. Oh no! I, no, no,
2: no.
0: I want to be I,
1: clear that, that I want to be clear is like I'm not saying violence ever works. No, right. no, no, no,
0: no. I, right. I, I'm yeah. speaking generally here, the broad okay. brush. Um, okay. You know, I don't feel like. I, I, at this point, I don't feel like violence is gonna work. I think the riots that happened, I think it's okay to call them riots. When, you, when you're breaking glasses, when you're destroying businesses, uh, when you got people hiding in bathrooms scared for their lives, is not a way to get your point across at this point. Because you know why who it's also hurting to? It's also hurting black families who are working. It's it's hurting the black families that also were working at the businesses that were closed down, like yeah. Targets, et cetera. Especially yeah. coming out of quarantine, there were other factors that produced a storm that was ripe to explode.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the violence, though, it was caused by people who were not even protesting. I mean, they were right. they, they were bust in, they're carted in. There was there was groups before specific- they drove in. I've I mean, seen
0: yeah. I, I've seen two or three yeah. articles that said that here. I've also seen the city of Cleveland say that no, that the people that did start to hear were from Cleveland.
1: I've seen a well, lot. I've seen both. It, it, there's so there's really important th- this particular point. I think we need to talk just a little bit on is that where there is there is uh, chaos tourists everywhere. You know that that like chaos to. Tourists. Chaos tourists, you know. Yeah. They, they, I, I got that image from uh, my friend who's doing uh, like political history at Boston College, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the, the the sort of glom on to any major movement in history that that just want to cause violence and want to riot. There was like, you know, su- you know, fancy supercars with rioters getting out in New York. So you know, like rich people are even getting in on it. You know, so. Yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's not this is not a, a one-size-fits-all thing you know there are a lot of just horrible horrible people doing this um, no, no, I, yeah but, that's true but, but the, what I wanted to highlight about the 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 narrative who's casting the narrative who's controlling the narrative about how people understand this when you look at what's going on in the from the White House and the voice of the president the type of narrative that he's casting is it's all antifa or radical left which antifa is not even a like a official organization it's an ideology anti-fascist
2: yeah you know like
1: like our grandfathers who like died in germany fighting these stupid fascists you know um but i'm not saying antifa people haven't done terrorist-like things in the past i'm not saying that um but but i'm saying the narrative is being controlled with no evidence at all um to promote a particular po- political ideology it's it's not it's not based in fact it's to protect a certain political ideology and protect a particular basis understanding of what's happening so as not to listen it's to block out voices it's saying no 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 it's only the radical left it's only antifa these are the people that are doing this and it's and it's trying to control the narrative and it's gotten so bad now that um, and I and I just posted on this earlier, That not only has Trump fabricated lies about Antifa without any evidence, and even when the governors, on his call with the governors, when they asked him, do you have evidence for us showing that this was Antifa or some, like, radical leftist groups, he turned the question around on them and said, well, yeah, I would ask you, I would turn it around on you and ask you the same thing. You know, provide us with that evidence as it comes in, you know, like, as if he had nothing to give them. And and he posted on the White House Twitter account, and it's and it's been deleted now because people have raised hell. But he was posting on the White House Twitter account pictures in front of a synagogue with those with those containers full of rocks, saying, "Look, Antifa has placed rocks in front of buildings to uh, for protesters to use. You know, they're 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 domestic terrorists." Blah blah blah. When you know what that picture was that he posted it was barricades for anti-ramming to block ramming from cars in front of the synagogue that's filled with rocks it's oh. it's, it's battering <laughs> ram blockers and and Trump took that it's it's from the Chabad uh, synagogue in LA it's from where the pictures are from I already posted the article and and the Chabad synagogue had already um, like gave public statements saying, like, no, these rumors are bull. Like these are not placed by anyone. They're barricades to keep people from ramming into our synagogues, you know. And it gets taken up, and these pictures get taken up long after the Chabad um, synagogue had already um, said that this was false and it was just bullshit right wing propaganda. Excuse my French, but um, uh, but they take. They take that image, the White House puts it up for the whole nation to see. See these Antifa left-wing terrorists are putting out rocks to destroy buildings. I'm like, that's what's happening right now. Are there all sorts of examples of like just these crazy chaos tourists doing all kinds of stuff from the right wing and the left? Yes, absolutely. No one's questioning that. What the issue is though, is when you have federal officials at the highest level, who are pitching one narrative and saying, This is what's happening. Everyone agree with me. So I can roll out the military into your cities like a fascist dictator. Which is completely illegal. Yeah. You know?
3: I realize so, I'm painting it with a, a broad brush on this, but it seems to me <laughs> there's been a pretty general pattern of there's peaceful protests led, you know, mm-hmm. by you know the leaders of local Black Lives Matter groups and other, you know, groups, and Followed by police aggression, you know, often the times after the main leaders leave, um, Mm -hmm. possibly ginned up by the fact that the president's so supportive of police aggression. And then we have rioters who, you know,
1: dominate your city. They're often coming in. Yeah, they're Mm -hmm.
3: often, you know, coming in because it's like, oh, well, here's my opportunity. It's already chaos. I mean, it's hard to call it a riot of people, of citizens, without also categorizing it as a riot of police, where we've had. We've had the whole thing starts because of police brutality. And then seeing that, you would think that the police would generally be like, and this has to start the leadership of the police. I don't want to cast too many stones at rank and file officers, but uh, it starts at the top always that you it's it's you. I'm sorry. I'm I'm blanking out here. (laughs) I lost my steam. But it's it's this thing where you can't. um,
1: Gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? No, You got the I I think you got the point across (laughs) the the connection. It's the alcohol. No, it's no, it's okay. I, awesome I, I agree episode. with what you're saying because you're put, you're making the incredibly important observation that um, that police brutality is the thing we're protesting, yeah. and so you don't meet a protest of police brutality with police brutality. <laughs> they leaned into um, it. They saw what we we're doing, and they're like, "Let's do it more." And it was mind boggling. And we wonder, we we wonder why riots and and looting exacerbate, you know, and and first of all, I'm not saying that's the only reason they do. Anyone in their right mind knows there are horrible people that just want to break everything and steal stuff. There's plenty of people that are like that. But that's going to happen in these movements. It always does. We're ignorant of our history again. It always happens. But when you have, like you're pointing out, from leadership in police departments, and it goes all the way, it's a trickle down effect. The moment, like the federal head and mouthpiece of the whole stinking country is like, hey, you know what? Seasons out, you know, war's open against the protesters, you know, send in the national, all you governors who aren't taking all these thousands of National Guard, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why haven't you taken them? Why aren't you dominating your cities? I'm actually quoting now, you know, why aren't you dominating them? And the governors responded, more than one. I was, I was actually impressed with some of the governor's responses. Um, some of the governors are telling him on his phone call, like, uh, okay, yes, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to stay on top of this. And and we're going to try to handle this with as much um, care, you know, as we can and, you know, not try to exacerbate, you know, tension too much or violence. And he's like, no, no. what? what why are you doing that? What, just call in the guard now. You dominate them. You have to. And, and then Barr calls the uh, – Barr is on the phone too. And Barr calls the cities battle spaces that must be dominated. Eh, good grief. That's what he tells the governors. He yeah. says they are battle spaces that must be dominated. And, and so all these police that have been outfitted with military equipment from all the freaking wars we keep waging, because um, you've got to do something with them, you give them to the police. Um, <laughs> that's a great uh, point. Yeah, we're really good at killing black and brown people. Um, well, you know what? So, I mean, <clears throat> to that point specifically. I'm sorry, but that that that's a profi- – I know that's not sort of a politically correct thing to say, but that's no, where I'm we're at. Not.
2: It's not incorrect either,
1: though. No, I'm yeah, not, I know. No, no one's disagreeing. but yeah, to yeah. that
0: point, and to Keith's point of of provocation, um, if we look outside of U.S., this is exactly what we're saying is what a lot of other Middle Eastern countries, and not just Middle Eastern countries, mm-hmm. have pinned America for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these Arab Springs that just color revolutions, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. We've been accused of that as a country, as our government, for a long time by these people. But we've never really listened. It's taken up, oh, no, 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 no. It's, you know, what you got going on there is a true civil war. Never mind the fact that we'll arm the opposition. Yep. Yeah. It gets documented and documented and documented. Docu- yes. We don't even hide it's, it that much anymore.
1: It's so called why, why, American why exceptionalism. Yeah. That's so why,
0: why is it shocking for us that we're starting to import what we exported for so, for so long?
3: Yeah. It's they, Brilliant
1: point. When you brilliant. look at
3: the statistics, you know when it comes to like gun deaths and police, you know police killings. The only countries that beat us are ones that are you know run by terrorists or run by drug cartels. It's remarkable yeah. how different we are from our peer countries. I, I don't know if it's exactly right where the numbers is. from. It's, yeah, that's per, capita, per
1: capita. We're not talking about just numbers. You know, we're talking per capita. I
3: think I saw somewhere that the UK... I, I was looking at the statistics and I kind of glossed over the whole table, but it was like the UK had like three police deaths in whatever year that we were looking at. I was like, I mean, you can't you, you can't rationalize that based on the population. They don't have one million no per population.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you, you so, know, uh, I really, really appreciate the point you just made, Gummy, because the, the, there's, the, the, I think everyone sort of has already pointed out here that you have like these two... Um, you know, sort of behind all these conversations, these sort of um, different ways of protesting and fighting this, like different methodologies of of fighting this systemic issues, you know? And and this is where um, I wanna go back to say, we really, really need to listen to our black and brown brothers and sisters on this, because this is the same debates that MLK and Malcolm were having in the mm-hmm. civil rights era. This is the same yeah. debates. Yeah. And, and, I've, and I've had to, I, uh, and we need to read James Baldwin as well. Um, James Baldwin has uh, a really important um, assessment of this sort of the radical nonviolent approach of MLK and the sort of you know, arm and fight the oppressor approach of Malcolm um, that with, towards the end of, of their lives, they actually came to pretty much agree, hmm. um, and James Baldwin says this. I'm, I'm actually going to quote him here. I have this quote. Uh, this is from. You can actually see this on the documentary. I am. I am not your Negro. Um, it's. It's taken from Baldwin's unpublished memoir. Uh, Remember this house, um, and it's narrated by Samuel Jackson. It's a. It really, really wonderful um, uh, sort of a. Pr- reflective piece on the civil rights movement then, and has an enormous import on what we're going through now. And listen to what he says about uh, Malcolm and, and, and Martin. There are two approaches. He says, um, as concerns Malcolm and Martin, I watched two men coming from unimaginably different backgrounds, whose positions were originally poles apart driven closer and closer together. By the time each died, their positions had become virtually the same position. It can be said indeed, that Martin picked up Malcolm's burden, articulated the version, the, the vision which Malcolm had begun to see and for which he paid with his life. And that Malcolm was one of the people Martin saw on the mountaintop. Hmm. That, that quote I think captures this, this struggle very prophetically because it shows that as time went on, when they're in the heat of the political rights struggle, when people are being hosed down and beaten and imprisoned and sometimes killed um, in the movement and you've had these two approaches, we go to war or mm-hmm. we embrace nonviolence. You know, and and I I do not mean to caricature uh, Malcolm's approach as if he was saying go to war. He, Malcolm okay. was saying defend ourselves with yeah. firearms. That's what he was saying. He yeah. was not. Malcolm never said we should go. You know, ransack police stations or blah blah blah. He's saying we should defend ourselves with arms through violence. You know, and that yeah. it's not violence if it's self defense. So, anyways, but as he went, and this was post uh, journey to Mecca, Malcolm X. After he came back, um, towards the end of his life, he embraced the nonviolent approach. Yeah, in, towards the end of his life, before he was assassinated, and but by that time, I mean the the, the sort of the wheels of history had had led to that. It was almost as and and, and James Baldwin talks about this too in that in that documentary that that um, that it, it was almost as if Malcolm Malcolm knew he was going to be killed. Like he knew this was going to happen. You know. It, it, this this happens a lot with prophets, you know. When you go deep enough, and you and deep in, deep enough deep enough into the belly of the beast, um, you know when the thing's going to crush you and kill you. It's yeah. not surprising. It's not surprising at all. Like right. it only is to other people. Like, oh my God, he was assassinated in that moment. But when we look back in history, it's like no, he knew. Like yep. he knew. And it, Jesus, when we look at the Gospels. It's not surprising at all that Jesus is telling his disciples over and over again, like, "Hey, you have to be willing to take up your Roman cross if you're going to follow me, because that's where this thing is headed." Like that, I, yeah. I'm good. The, the authorities are going to kill me. Like that's going to happen. Um, yeah. And they still didn't get it. You know, they they still it still wasn't tracking with them I, to the I point was- where they literally abandoned him. When the, when the principalities and powers showed up, you know, yeah. as soon as as soon as the authorities of the state show up to, to crucify him, they flee like little roaches. And <laughs> I'm like, shoom, we're out. And yeah. and then then even the Peter's denial is one of the most important passages for our present moment, I think. Is is in that moment when he's confronted by the authorities and the people, the crowds who are all about. <laughs> oh. Man. Uh, he's, he's asked the question, "Were you were you not the one that was with him?" And he rejects. Yeah. I, I didn't know him. I didn't know him, you mm-hmm. know. So and- when the rubber meets the road, Christians, and this is for Christians only. When the rubber meets the road, Christians, if you are unwilling to place your body in the line of fire to stand up for truth and the justice of the gospel when it comes to it then what you are in effect saying is you do not believe in the cross and you do not believe in the resurrection yeah you've rejected them because in resurrection this is one of the reasons i study resurrection so much and write on resurrection and talk about resurrection so much is because american christianity has completely just decimated the theology of resurrection because the theology of resurrection is about one thing and one thing only, ultimately, and everything else flows from it, vindication. It is not some like tapped on miracle after Jesus does his atoning work, which is everything. Everything's about the atonement. And, and then see proof, boom, magic in the hat trick, he gets back up out of the grave. No, that is not what the resurrection is about. And I'm sick and tired of Christian pastors who preach resurrection that way that resurrection is just some sort of little seal the deal of the atonement because that's not what resurrection meant resurrection meant is that while all of you who stand around jeering him oh king of the jews (laughs) yeah right and all the people that leave him and abandon him after all the things he said you know, if you loan out money, don't expect any return. Love your enemy. You know, pray for those who persecute you. If they slap you on the cheek, turn the other one. All of these things. That guy, that prophet who said that is vindicated in that moment of resurrection. Yeah. God has spit in the face of all the rulers, of all the magistrates, of all the procurators. Of all the crowds that doubted, it spit right in their face and said, nope, he was right. This is the way. And it's exactly what Paul means in Colossians when he says that in the crucifixion, God was making a mockery of the powers. (laughs) He was mocking them. Because that's their tool to silence the rebels. Yeah. they hang up in front of every major freaking city in the roman empire you can see crosses lining streets to preach to them caesar's lord here suckers you rebel this is what happens to you you know Mm -hmm. so that that type of image everyone in the ancient world knows that everyone in the ancient roman empire knows that josephus when he talks about Um, The sacking of Jerusalem that Jesus was predicting and said would happen, which, by the way, is not really a really significant divine prophecy, because anyone who is paying attention in that day would have seen this coming. You know, they would have seen Rome coming for them. Like it was just a matter of time. Rome quelches rebellions quickly, um, very quickly and very violently. So when, when they did, when Tiberius came into the city, when, when they did what they did, they're Titus, excuse me, Titus, uh, the general comes into the city and they sack the city. Uh, Josephus is telling the story in the Jewish war. It says crosses lined the walls of Jerusalem, crosses the, all over the city, Jews hanging on crosses everywhere. It says they ran out of crosses. They didn't have any more. They used, they just crucified all these people. And then the, the, the soldiers were afraid of, of showing any mercy lest their captains not show mercy to them and kill them. So they were slaughtering everyone, men, women, children, everybody. Um, yeah. so, so that's the story that's told of the sacking of Jerusalem. And that's why Jesus is crying over the city saying, we sent prophet after prophet. After profit to you, and you didn't listen, you silenced him, you beat him, you imprisoned them, and then the master of the vineyard sends his son, and you're like, Oh, he's the heir of the whole thing. If we kill him, it's all ours, you know. And so one day that master's gonna come back and you're screwed, you know. So that that that's the type of parables that Jesus is telling on his way to be killed by the Romans. Mm, yeah. you know, and sometimes we for we don't read those texts or we don't know how to understand them. That the we we try to so quickly individualize them as Americans do and say, "How can we apply this to our lives? How can we <laughs> apply this to our lives?" Blah blah blah. You know, yeah. when it's talking about political and social realities, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's talking about the That's real right. state of the political system where he lives. And the fact that literally in centuries prior, we keep sending you freaking prophets and you're not listening, you know? And it, those are the types of passages that we should be preaching with power right now in America. Those so are, are we the like Pharisees the new Rome? Their prophets? No, we are
2: the new Jewish leaders. If you look at the synagogues back in well, America, are we like a new
1: Rome that's gonna be Yes? Because We are the Babylon, the we are the Rome, we are the Egypt yeah and and American Christians are the ones that keep preaching that we're Israel, we're the city on the hill, we're the light of the nations. Well, guess what we're not yeah and and until Christian preachers get it through their thick skulls that what we should be preaching is these condemnations of Babylon and Egypt and everywhere else, and the condemnation of the city of Jerusalem, which by the way all those all those condemnations come from passages like Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7 you know why Jesus was killed if the text says the text says at what point and a lot of Christians don't either know this or they forget is at what point did the leadership in Judea decide to conspire to kill him at what point because the narratives are very particular about this that when they say when the texts actually say they conspired to from that point on to kill Jesus was when he went into the temple and it says he was teaching he was teaching and and it doesn't give us much of what he taught but he but he reads he he quotes from Isaiah 56 and he quotes from Jeremiah 7 about this house of prayer for all nations you've met made a den of robbers those that that when he's teaching from those prophets that's When they try to kill him. So if you go back and look. In context. Go back and read those texts. I challenge every listener to read these for themselves. Go back and read Isaiah 56 in context. Go back and read Jeremiah 7. The house of prayer for all nations. And the you've made this house a den of robbers from Jeremiah 7. Go back and read those chapters in context. And what do both of them uh, say and address? Both of them. Are condemning the religious, which is the political leaders they're not distinguished in the ancient world that 's a modern sort of post enlightenment French and American thing, but in the ancient world, religious leaders are the political leaders so when you when you in the temple is their establishment that 's where all the taxes come that 's where all the you know you pay your ten percent there you know all the money the treasury's there so um temple temple rulers are no different than the The bankers and kings, basically. So um, when, when you go back and read Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7, those passages both address. You have forsaken the orphans. You've forsaken the widows. You've forsaken the foreigners. You do injustice in your cities. And then you come into Yahweh's house and you say, oh, this is the temple of Yahweh, temple of Yahweh, temple of Yahweh, and offer prayers and sacrifices. And Yahweh doesn't hear you. Yeah. He's not listening to you because you do injustice in the streets out there. And then you come in here singing, Oh, I love you. God, blah, blah, blah. Like he's not listening to you. He doesn't give a crap about your praise songs. He doesn't give a crap about your little GCD, every freaking song and your lights and skinny jeans and all that crap. He doesn't, he, and for you high church people, he doesn't give a rip about your Eucharistic processions. If You're going out in the streets and doing injustice in the marketplace. You're doing injustice to poor people. You're doing injustice to black and brown bodies. And then you come in here and say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He's not listening to your prayers. That is what the texts say. If you're pissed off or angry about me saying that, you're not angry at me. You're (laughs) angry at your own texts that condemn you. Yeah. This is this is this is Greek stuff from hundreds of years ago. This has nothing to do with me. That's no, good. I'm just it's telling good. you what they say. Yeah, it's good. Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gummy, no, can I'm you sure. do us all a favor in the
3: studio and drop a mic for us?
2: I'm <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I. I I've said similar things in the past, um, even to the point where where we condemn the ancient Jewish leadership for saying, well, Jesus, we knew that he wasn't going to be this high and mighty leader. But then we do it now, and we say that he's going to come back as this high and mighty leader. But we're doing the same thing,
1: right? We're doing the 2000- exact same thing, 2000- if not worse. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, but the text doesn't even let it's funny because the text doesn't even let Christians do that, because um, the text doesn't give you an option to say, you you know, um, how should I frame this? Like, this is a problem of hermeneutics. How we how we go about interpretation. Right. Is where do we when we're reading a narrative? All right. A story. Where do you see yourself? You know, people. People like to put themselves as the good guy every time, you know. They'll find the good guy in the text and be like, yeah, get those bad guys. Yeah, get those mofos. (laughs) We got them, you know. It's like they're always the good guy in the text, you know. Yeah. But the ones who are the careful listeners and the careful readers and the perceptive readers know that these texts weren't written just for the good guy. They were written to pierce the heart, the reason why they last so long is the power that's behind these narratives. And the reason why they keep getting used is because of their, their prophetic ability to cut through the quick, you know, cut right to the heart of the matter, you know. And so yeah. these narratives, of especially of the passion of Jesus, don't let any Christians off the hook because you can't find a character in the story that says, well, I'm with Jesus because nobody was with him. The narrative doesn't let you off the hook. Yeah, no, I agree. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you could say, that. oh, well, when the government comes against Jesus and stands against him, I was there standing with him. You know, like the d- disciples. Oh, wait. They're not. <laughs> They're not with him. There's no one you can tag your identity on. You know, you're looking in the narrative like, wait, who? am I? I've got to be the good guy. Who am I? You know? And it and it leaves you like everyone else was left. Like everyone else was left. Everyone stood condemned as the the, the as the master of righteousness is carried away like a lamb led to slaughter. Everyone is condemned in that moment.
0: Because he was probably so. brown, let's be honest, right? I mean
1: <laughs> Of course. He was a brown Mediterranean Jew right. with with curly hair and all this all the I'm not gonna go into all the stereotypes because a bunch right, of right, racists right, love right. that crowd. You know, yeah. but um but, but no, yeah, man, you get I totally
0: it what you're saying, and in terms of American history, it's so hard for me to see myself as the good guy in that narrative, yeah, when I see the rest of the world, and I try to keep a world world view in the, in that context yeah, so that yeah. that that's a really tough thing to deal with as a believer. It's really hard, man uh to wrestle with those two things to wrestle that, you know, I mean, I've seen what our government, uh, and, and not to say that everyone is evil, everyone is bad within it, or everyone in our military is bad or evil, no. but I've seen what we've done in other nations. I've seen, you know, just Syria, for example, I've seen the refugees flooding out of their country because of mm. a lot of what our government has done, our policies, mm-hmm. you know, and and then when when you see something like what's going on, on our, in our nation now, it's like, man, even yeah. if you're not spiritual or religious or have any kind of background, you probably believe in karma. That whatever yeah. good or bad you put out there, it's going to come back and get you an ass. A- right?
1: every, every, everybody believes that, you know, if they're yeah. just thinking people like, you right? know, that's uh, well, actually, no, I don't want to say that because. <laughs> That that's actually not true i, I take that back because yeah, yeah. because we have a third of our psalms if not more are all lament psalms of saying like hey god have you just totally forgotten us like what the hell psalm over you know that's true. um so and th- th- those are the those are the types of psalms that jesus is quoting on the cross so yeah. um you know like hey have you forsaken me what the hell you know um yeah. so uh it's, and I shouldn't have made light of that. I, I'm not trying to make light of that. I, I'm not. Don't hear that. But, but I, I'm saying that there is there is a very real reality that the that the scripture keeps preaching at over and over and over and over and over again. That hey, look, these evil, wicked people like have all the money and power, and everything's going fine for them, and the righteous people get freaking squashed. What the heck is going on? Is there even a god in heaven? You know. Yeah. And that is what Christians, I, you know, I've said this over and over and over again to other podcasts and churches, but we have to also recapture the lament tradition in the American church. Mm. But you know, you know why we don't? Because the most white, I'm, I'm speaking to white American Christians right now, they don't have anything to lament about. Everything's fine for them. The lament tradition is alive and well in the slave songs of African Americans. It's alive and well in the black church. You know, the lament tradition is alive and well. It never left them, you know, because we, they weren't, they were the ones being dumped on. You know, everything's fine in my church. We don't need laments. What? Lament what? You know, I just bought a new Mercedes. I'm fine. You know, it's like, so they, they have nothing to lament about in their worldview. Mm. You see? So where's our solidarity? You know, where's our solidarity? I thought it was supposed to be with the least of these, that that's our solidarity is with those who are broken and poor and hurting and oppressed. That's what Jesus said. I didn't come for you, righteous people. I came for the lost and what the reformed church and a lot of Protestant churches do with that is says, well, there's the, there's the elect, you know, righteous people that are justified. And then there's all the evil people that aren't justified or saved yet. um, And that's what that text is talking about. But that's not what that text is talking about because there's lots of people who are fine who, who do their tithes and offerings and are righteous before God and are you know, religious leaders, they're fine. Like God's not worried about them. He's worried about being p- people who have been oppressed by those systems and they can't ever get back in. And they're not allowed back in for their uncleanness or sinfulness or whatever. And he's saying, no, I'm coming out to, for them now. I'm coming to save them, to liberate them. I'm not here to liberate you people that are all fine and dandy in your big, beautiful white churches and your wonderful houses and cars and stuff. I'm not here to liberate you. You're okay. Like, I'm here to liberate these people who are not okay and who've had the boot on their neck for a long time, long before George Floyd. Mm, Right. Yeah. Man, heavy. That, that deserves another beer.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, heavy. It's yeah. heavy stuff, and I'm sorry to get so serious, but, like, no, it's this, good. now's that's, the time. It's a, it's appropriate. No, Yeah, yeah. Now's the time. Especially
2: for right now. Right now is the time that the message really needs to echo. Right now yeah. is the time that everybody needs to hear this. Everybody. Every nationality, yeah. every color, every everybody needs
1: to hear this message right now. But especially white Christianity in America. Agreed. But yeah. especially. It's, it, 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 that's the thing that we have to admit that. We have to be okay with admitting that. It's, it, the, the only road to healing begins with confession. There is no healing that does not begin with confession. Yeah. Christians Agreed. have taught that since day one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Day one. No healing comes without first confession. And when you confess, you're not yet off the hook. Hmm. Things have to change. And a lot of American Christians think they can go pray their sins away and and not touch all the systemic things because my individual life is fine. I've got my little golden ticket to heaven. I've got my personal justification. Screw the rest. You know, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't Mm -hmm. affect them. Right. The only way someone can say that is because it doesn't affect them. Mm-hmm. So we have to open our eyes and ears and realize this is, goes beyond posting blackout posts on Instagram or posting your favorite Black Lives Matter stuff on Facebook. It has to do with holding a whole system accountable. And that begins with ourselves and our own communities. Yeah.
3: Right? Yeah, your earlier comments on on the you know the crucifixion being about vindication and and God being you know very invested in in laying low the principalities and power reminded mm-hmm. me that it's, it's not a right left thing. It's not about you know mm-hmm. getting people over to another side of the political aisle. It's really a lot about reviving an ancient, long lost Christian political tradition of being skeptical of the principalities and powers and being skeptical of even our own. Selves and what we believe, and just looking at it and being like, asking the question: Is this right? Are these things that I take for granted? Are they right? Are these things that my leaders tell me just because maybe I agree with them on something else? Are they right?
1: Yeah. You can't question Uh, official uh, narratives. Hammer meet the head of the nail, right
0: there. That's (laughs) I totally agree, but it's like you know you're not a lot of question official narratives, Mm. and now people are scared because I totally agree with you one hundred percent, Keith. You know, no matter what you put out on media, you're going to find hate. You'll mm-hmm. find some who support you because those are the people you're trying to reach.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. But you're also going to find hate. So it's like questioning things now. My Lord. I mean, you
1: you could be a hater no matter what side you're on. Mm-hmm. It is a rejection. Oh, yeah. Let me. Uh, you just knocked it out of the park. I don't even have to say anything else. But but I just want to say say this as an amen to what you just said is it is a rejection mm-hmm of the entire Christian spiritual tradition Mm. to not I'm serious about this Mm -hmm. it is a rejection of the entire Christian spiritual tradition when we do not commit ourselves to renewing our mind daily Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah that's good think about that think about that yeah I agree. Your mind is still stuck in those callous places it was five years ago. Two years ago. You have abandoned the tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Sanctification has zero to do about operating with our current knowledge, our current frame of reference, for a long duration. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with continually renewing our mind, continually questioning those narratives, continue continually to be skeptic about power systems that so quickly reach at the things most precious to us. They constantly reach and use the things that are most precious to us to to corral us and to silence us and to get us on their teams. And we're not listening we're not renewing yeah. our minds. We're not thinking critically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, you so nailed it. You, you said so it. I'm just at saying that point, different then, words at, to what you
0: already said. At, at that point, you. we have to bring up fear then because we're, we're scared today to be labeled
1: as something. Mm. Yes. It's all about fear. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's all about fear. You cannot love if you are afraid. Right. The, 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 these are polar opposites. There is love on one end of the pole, and there's fear on the other. Mm-hmm. That if we embrace the rhetoric of fear and militarism, then what we do is abandon love. Yeah. yeah. We say that love is, we reject the notion that love actually is a solvent. We, yeah. we, we say that love is not powerful. If we embrace the narrative, we must fight. We must fucking oh, the enemy. We gotta get him. If we keep thinking that way, what we're we are openly preaching to the whole world at that point that we have given up on the belief that love has any power to do anything. Yeah. So 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 I mean I'm talking fundamental Christianity one hundred and one stuff here, man. Yeah. Like I'm saying that love one hundred and one love. Right. Conquers, you know. No. Love no. covers that one. One that I sometimes, every few months, I'll just post it by itself on Facebook uh, or Twitter or something. I don't really use Twitter really, but I'll just say, "Love no. covers a multitude of sins,"
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. from James, yeah. from the Book of James. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people ignore the Book of James. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Justified I mean, by works. What do we do with this? Yeah.
2: I think it's <laughs> I think you're saying it earlier because really it's almost like Christianity has lost the sense of its roots because if you go back to the first mm, century, exactly. even the Romans talked about how the Christians were all about they would give their lives selflessly and not fight back. And they could not figure that out. out. If you look at uh Ignatius of Antioch, he mm. we we still have his seven letters. That he wrote on his right. way, where he knew he was going to die, where he willingly said, "Let my body be the Eucharist that the lions and the bears feast upon." Right. So it's mm-hmm. you know
1: wow. right out right out of the apocalyptic tradition. Man. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'll say where we where we haven't been called to you know necessarily give our lives in a lot of cases you know in our you know position in the world and and our country today. Like I think one of the most disarming things you can do is say. I'm wrong, or if somebody tells you about a problem that maybe you don't understand, to say instead of fighting and say no, my problem is bigger, is to say no, that really sucks. We have to fix that. I often feel this with respect to the pro life movement, as if we would stop saying but abortion, and instead you know look at all these other injustices and say yeah, those are awful. Those are a huge impediment to protecting life. We have to fix those too. We have to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I you know I've just noticed that like. I've had to take a, a big step back personally in the pro-life movement because I just have been deeply uncomfortable. It just feels like everything is counterproductive, that every every time, every demonstration seems like it's more likely to draw people away. As I was drifting away from the Republican Party and, and conservatism, I was, you know, I just kept thinking anytime I would go to an event, I'd be like, I would be totally uncomfortable with inviting somebody left of center here. And how can we attract more than at best 47% of the nation, 47% of people isn't going to make a pro life movement that actually changes anything.
1: Yeah. That's um a good point. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's hard. <laughs> I mean,
0: humility's hard.
1: Yeah.
0: You yeah, have to look but, at the, yeah, you, you have to look in the mirror. That's right. That's it, but, but I, I, don't I think
1: to, uh, you know, sorry, just, I just no, wanted to no, say no, what, I what, mean at the what, beginning what when just, I brought up
0: my own kind oh, of sorry. racist views, I mean that I had to face myself first before I can face and be able to accept others' injustice. You know, mm-hmm. until I was willing to accept my own in that way and say, yeah, you know what? There was a lot of white people I treated wrong growing up and I bullied and I picked on for no reason other than the color of their skin.
1: That, yeah. I had to yeah, own that. Yeah. That's, That's y'all, y'all both are nailing it right now because the, the, what, what big sort of events like this do and, in uh, yeah. We have to be able to see the metaphor here for like uh, the whole passion event and everything, because um not, and not to pull it beyond metaphor, but it, it's very important that we see this metaphor, I think is that when something an event like this, so huge and so sweeping, happens, it's like a big spotlight that shines on all of us, you know, and where we're forced this thing is just happening. It's way bigger than us. You know, it's happening all over the place and we're sort of forced in this position to make a decision. You know, like we, we, we see ourselves and ourselves are reflected in these moments where, where we see like, where do we really stand and who do we stand with? And there's so much confusion too, because not only do we not really understand what's going on out there and who's responsible for what and whose narrative of it do I believe or whatever, I think something even more, maybe even more powerful about that this phenomena is we realize that maybe we don't really know ourselves. Like, maybe yeah. we really don't know where we stand on any of these things, you know? Yeah. And, and this is a problem with a lot of white America is is they've, we, we, they've never been forced into a position where they really have to ask the question, like, what do I really think about this, you know? Like, because you can't silence it at this point. It's, too, it's just too overwhelming, it's deafening now, you know? You can try to talk about riots all day long, but it's, it's, like, it's like someone, I mean, it's really, it's like the all lives matter people. It's like, if you, if you have a house with a leaky roof, and I, you just, God, I just don't have enough money to fix that, I've tried the YouTube videos to figure out how to do it, and I don't have the tools, and blah, 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 and you're really frustrated at it. But your neighbor's house, two doors down, is burning to the ground with children inside. That is not the moment you say, you know what? Well, all houses matter, okay? You know, I, I've got a leaky roof, and my problems matter too, you know? Mm-hmm. it's like. That's not the time you say that. Right. Does your leaky roof matter sure man? Your problems at work and all that and your problems in your marriage and oh man life's tough for me right now. That's that's cool bro. But right now, and, and I'm with you on that like I feel you. But right now our brothers and sisters and neighbors houses are freaking burning down and you're not doing anything. Else. Like that's the the the, the sort of philosophy, we have to get past because it's a selfish philosophy. It's about self. It's about Mm self-exoneration. It's about self-righteousness. It has nothing to do with our brothers and sisters. It has nothing to do with the other. We don't want to listen and hear them. Mm -hmm. You see? This is the thing we have to overcome. We have to overcome the self. We have to overcome the, no, don't mess up my life. It's, like, nice and tidy. I like it the way it is. Yeah. Well, other people's lives freaking suck, bro, and you don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that's the real issue that we're out in the streets protesting right now. That's the real issue that's, like, has me planning with my DC friends, like, I'm going to drive up there next week, bro. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know. Um,
2: yeah. I get it. I totally get it. I understand. Man.
1: I appreciate y'all's awesome. perspective. That was a good like, two hours. Yeah. That was two hours? That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. a great two hours. That's a <laughs> long time, and no one's gonna listen to all this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Once it's over two hours, Eric can make good two episodes, right? <laughs> right?
1: Two episodes. Episode <laughs> one that's and part part one and part two. Yeah. That's right.
2: <laughs> Again, thank you so much for being on. This was uh this was this was a really good talk. I think I so. That. It's it's and it's one that needs to happen. It's one that everybody really needs to listen to.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. It's one that everybody needs to ponder. So so much to think about. Yeah. yeah. So much, man.
3: I really yeah. appreciate it. Hey, we're, yeah. we're, um, I'm, I'm definitely really into the idea. You know, definitely want to read it, as much of your stuff as I can going forward. So, what's the best place to to go get you know? Well. <laughs>
1: So let me be very clear about something. Uh, what little scholarship I have actually in print right now has nothing to do with my American political beliefs. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's very esoteric, early Judaism, Christian origin stuff, you know. It's so, oh, It's very good stuff. I, no, I really appreciate it. It does, I mean, if, te- if read within the context of wider theological discussions, it has import. But... Yeah, it's sure. very particular to a scholarly conversation that's going on, you know, yeah. about Paul and Christian origins and Jewish apocalypticism and all that. So, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be more than happy to share uh, links with Aaron and you can get it out. And um, Hey, but, but you, you know, uh, what, maybe it's one of the pieces the evangelical people need. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you no, know I, I haven't. I actually haven't written anything that they really need right now. I, I would <laughs> like to divert. They need something, man. <laughs> well well, hopefully they can listen to this and then they can go read some books by black and brown people and by prophetic speakers in Christian theology like Stanley Harawas and others. But 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 he's he's a white author, but I would push people towards some black authors right now. You know, I would push people towards like reading James Cohn. That'll really mess with people no, black liberation theology you know a lot of pe- a lot of conservatives just think that's all heretical nonsense, but I'm telling you liberation theology has a lot to say about our current moment, and there's a lot more true in it, and they have a deeper understanding of the nature of the gospel than most of my Christian white friends do um so I, I would point them towards those that kind of literature um and point them towards Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, yeah. go and read his letters from Birmingham jail. Go read that. Let it mess with you. Let it tear you up on the inside. Mm-hmm. Read those letters. You can. I'm sure you can find, just search the Internet and find them. Read those. Yeah. Read the speeches towards the ends of his life about the poor people's campaign and the systemic economic and poor people's um, issues that he wanted to that was going to be way bigger than the first march that, that that he was actually assassinated for. Go go read his speech called "The Other America" that he gave months before he's assassinated. You know, mm. go yeah. read that stuff right now. You know, yeah. go read James Baldwin right now. You know, um, those those are the people I would say to read and listen to right now more than anybody. Okay. Again, good message thank you very much yeah, yeah thanks guys for having me yeah. oh, oh man thank thanks you being so part, much
2: again it was great having you on um, I knew it would be a really good episode it has been it's been, it's been fantastic it's
1: been great <laughs> well we terrible. can get into more bible nerdy stuff when this is blown over but right now this and I don't want it to blow over I want it to be systemic change but, yes um, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but right now I'm I, my heart and my mind is invested in this so yeah Definitely, man. Oh, we James appreciate you know. it, man. Yeah, right. Appreciate you y'all.
2: Thank you. <laughs> all right. Don't forget to visit us on Patreon, virtually all social media, and podcast platforms. Have a great night.
0: Hey, it is nothing taboo over brew.